the real interesting piece I was finding was that wasn't the people that I was seeing going out on their own. It was people who were exceptional at what they were doing, so much so that they were highly in demand across a particular area and they were so in demand, they really didn't need to advertise it. But one of the things, one of the key reasons they went out on their own is that they were looking for the freedom to choose work that actually fulfills them. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding, and you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. This episode is on assembling purpose-built creative teams and empowering freelancers to do meaningful work with Tash Menon. Tash is the director and founder of MASH Brands, a global collective of independent brand strategists and creative problem solvers that offers a modern take on the traditional agency model. Tash works with a group of 80 freelancers or mashers around the world, connecting them with brands and providing an agile in-source solution. In her 14-year career, Tash has worked with household brands like Virgin Australia, P&O Cruises, Jaguar, Tom Ford and London Fashion Week, as well as high-profile chefs and renowned restaurants. We discuss purpose-led brands, Tash's career path and why she started MASH, and the value it offers to brands and freelancers, plus their onboarding process for new creatives, becoming business partners with friends, and finding new clients in unexpected ways. I was inspired by Tash's determination and drive in growing their community and client base. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hey Tash, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Dan. Yeah, good. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So we kick things off the same way uh, with a simple mm-hmm. icebreaker. So what's your favorite brand and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I think particularly in the climate we're in today, it's just been so fascinating watching how brands are evolving in how they kind of speak to their customers um, and how they're looking to really connect with people. Um I guess for me, my favorite brand has stayed the same pretty much since I was a teenager. Um, And it's such a cliche answer, but I think most of us can agree that Nike just sort of really owned that space where, you know, they're selling something so much bigger than a product. And, you know, for me, when when I talk about brands and, you know, branding as such and sort of why I love this industry that we're in, you know, it's not just about selling or advertising. It's more so about communicating about something that is far bigger than, you know, yourself and telling a story that actually stands um, with purpose. And, you know, just seeing, you know, I'm a massive basketball fan and, you know, what really Nike have done in the last week in itself, um, you know, with, with um, you know, Kobe Bryant's birthday and sort of the new sort of campaign that they'd sort of rolled out around there, that whole idea of, you know, inspiration and, um, you know, how they continually innovate in how they speak to the, you know, the everyday athlete, um, is just, it's just so inspiring. And, you know, I think brands that can, can do that on a continual basis and find ways to connect with such a broad audience. Um, it's not just creativity. It's just such a great way to communicate. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I really, I really like that. I really like the uh, the Kobe Bryant video that was put out last week uh, oh. by Nike. It was so, so well done, so well executed, and um, yeah, like you say, um, they're just really good at communicating um, sort of a greater purpose with uh, with their brand positioning. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, it's. I think what's really fascinating with them, you know, Nike has always been positioned as a global leader in whether it's, you know, athleticism, sporting, leisure wear, but they have this very um, interesting positioning that allows them to sort of enable an equal playing field with everyone, you know, Mm. and that sort of aspect, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, um, you know, that sort of purpose to sort of bring people together through sport um, is just something for me on a personal level really resonates. But then also, you know, how they do that to inspire. And I think if brands can inspire change or change in behavior, that's, um, you know, that's where things get really interesting. Yeah, great. That's a great answer. Um, Cool. So Tash, take me back. How did you get into the industry? Or uh, and describe, I guess, so now you're, you're, you're the leader of MASH Brands, but take me through, I guess, your career path in how you got there. Uh, it's, um, it's an interesting one, Dan. <laughs> um, well, I kind of always say I'm, I'm of Indian descent. So, you know, really I was, I was meant to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer when I finished school. Like, and basically <laughs> when I swapped, swapped my degree uh, close to about, I think I swapped my degree three times. Um, And my grandfather, who was a physicist, basically was just like, what are you doing with your life type of thing? (laughs) What are you doing? Oh, God. Um, I was doing arts law. Then I went into business journalism. And then I ended up dropping my journalism degree because I got a really good job over in London, which I'll explain, and finished my business degree by correspondence, which allowed me to sort of stay on. But um, I guess, yeah, my background, um, I I sort of alluded to sports always played a really big part of my life. And I actually um, had a scholarship to go play basketball um, over in the US. And then a month before I was meant to go, I had a really bad shoulder injury, um, which led me to basically, well, I had to have a shoulder reconstruction. And I was, you know, always a bit of a realist. Like I I kind of knew that this was never going to be, you know, the currency that was going to lead me to like pay for my life sort of thing, but it did give me a good reason to go live in America and try something completely new. And, you know, I quite frankly worked my ass off to do it. And, um, and then all of a sudden everything that kind of made me, me sort of got pulled away. And I think that's kind of why I sort of had that sort of scattered approach of, well, what is my next step? And, you know, I guess part of my deal with my, my family whilst growing up was, you know, we'll support you with all your sport in the world that you want to do, but you've got to keep your grades up. So I was fortunate that I had choice, but I really didn't have any clear purpose in terms of what I wanted to do. And so just, you know, classically, when you finish year 12, you, you, I, I started going to uni in Brisbane and, um, I just quite quickly was, you know, uh, spent a lot of time just going, well, what, what am I curious about? And I did a whole range of things, to be honest. I, you know, I was working as a photographer on the side and I actually ended up having my own photo exhibition whilst I was still at university. And, you know, I met some really interesting, I just sort of allowed myself to go talk to as many people as possible because I was in this sort of, sort of siloed sort of lane when I was playing sport that, you know, you, you're very structured, very goal orientated. And I probably didn't really explore other skills or even tapped into 
creativity, I guess, so to speak, because, you know, again, I, I was doing physics and chemistry in year 12. There was no art. There was no any of the subjects that I really wanted to do around design and design thinking. And, um, and long and short, I was in my, I, I, I basically was doing business journalism and I picked up a marketing unit and I found it fascinating um, just about the way of how, you know, the psychology around what people are seeking and what people are wanting and, you know, how brands can actually tell a story to help support that. And it just brought a lot of different areas of interest to me, which was sort of the commercial side along with sort of insight around human nature. And um, it was the first thing since I played basketball that I was like, wow, I really find this interesting. And kind of my personality sort of is when I find something like that, I dive pretty deep. And um, I started doing a whole range of side hustles in terms of starting my own products and businesses and, you know, doing my own exhibitions. And um, I then found out that I was alleged, um, I was able to apply for this scholarship that would potentially allow me to get over to London. And um, I kind of used that as a sort of a, a catalyst to sort of go, okay, well, if I can get this, um, and, you know, I was working a couple of part-time jobs whilst at uni, so I literally had no money. Um, but if I get this, I was determined that when I got to London, I was going to use that as a platform to shape whatever it is I was going to do. Like, that was just it. Like, I had to go there and make a change now for myself to, I guess, allow me to pursue my own, like sort of next chapter of life yeah. that wasn't going to involve sport. And so I um, applied for this scholarship. Once I got it, I found out that on a student visa, um, you could, well, you, you weren't able to work more than 20 hours a week. But then I found out on a working holiday visa, I don't know if these rules still exist, but this was a long time ago, uh, on a working <laughs> anyway, on a working holiday visa, um, you could go over and study on like a two to three month space and you could work as much as you want. So I took a working holiday visa. I was adamant that I was just going to work as many jobs as possible and I don't know, figure out what I was going to do when I got there. And then I also found out uni on an exchange program, the pass mark is 40%. And mm, um, it only, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. So you can have no doubt I chose all the subjects that I really didn't want to do and did it there because it comes out on your transcripts as just as a university exchange and the university name. So it looked great, but it didn't matter what you got. So I was like, <laughs> right, I'm just going to, and uh, it's, yeah. So long and short, I did that, then told my family, I've got the scholarship. I can go overseas. It's all paid for. I've got my visa. I'm leaving in three weeks. And they're like, what? And, um, and yeah, off I went. So I went over to London. Um, and like most people, I started working in a bar when I was there. <laughs> and, um, so I started where I was, I was like 19 years old, never been to London before. I like rocked up in Piccadilly Circus and was like, Oh my God, this is, you know, a dream. And literally, um, I won't say what bar it was cause it's too embarrassing now. <laughs> Because if anyone's been to London, well, it was um, it was fun as a nineteen-year-old. Um, but went in there, and they were actually hiring for bar staff that day. And um, it was a cool, you know, multi sort of multi-venue sort of placing. It had like four or five different bars, restaurants, nightclubs, like all in the same place. Um, and long and short, I started going to uni full time. I started working full time in a bar, and I started also 
um, I found out that Cosmopolitan magazine had their head office in Soho. And um, at the time I was still studying business journalism, but I was only taking business units in London. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get like an internship or something, um, you know, in a journalism or like a publication at least. So um, I can keep that up. And so I worked, walked into Cosmo and um, sort of asked if they had internships going and they said, yeah, you can apply through this. And so I started doing an internship there too. And interestingly, the fashion director who I interned for now works for us at MASH, but that's a different story oh, altogether. Awesome. <laughs> so that's it goes so cool. to show, be nice when you're an intern because you never know what happens. Yeah. Um, and basically um, I, I just... I spent all my, you know, I was earning five pounds, five P an hour. So ridiculous child labor. Um, but I somehow saved money, traveled a whole heap, worked like a crazy person, had a whole bunch of fun. And then when I finished my uni component that I was doing there, it was near Christmas time. And, um, a whole bunch of corporates were starting to have their Christmas parties at this venue I was working at. And this venue had a head of marketing and I think a marketing coordinator. And I remember thinking like, um, you know, obviously I was studying and I was working till ridiculous hours in the morning. And I'd be like, the marketing manager has it so easy. She just basically has to like show people around, get an event and finish by like, you know, eight o'clock at night. And I was like, well, this is interesting. You know, why would people want to come and have, you know, it was just a very sort of simple way of thinking about it, but why would people want to come to this venue? How could we make it better? Um, and I just said, could I start working with you like before my shifts in the bar for free and just helping out because Christmas was really busy. And long and short, the consultancy I ended up working for, for close to seven years, they had their Christmas party and the PA to our CEO, I was helping coordinate that event. So uh, yeah, I think I was still, I still had a year of my degree left and I got on with her really well. And I was like, oh, what do you guys do? And she goes, oh, well, we've actually just brought in a new managing director for London. And he comes from a luxury, luxury brand background. He's working with us around, you know, changing the perception of our brand and how we start now working with, so their sort of key areas was branding communications and events staffing for high-end hotels, restaurants, and events. And obviously as somebody who had grown up most of my sort of teenage life in Brisbane and then suddenly was in London and the type of events that they were targeting were like the Brit Awards, London Fashion Week, you know, all the five-star hotels on Park Lane. I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to work with you guys. And I still hadn't finished my degree. I basically put a CV together and this lovely PA got me in front of this, well, the, the MD for the London region, who I ended up, who ended up being my boss, my boss for seven years. And I had no idea what the job was that I was applying for. I just knew I wanted to work in this company. They sounded super entrepreneurial. I got on with my boss straight away, which is a piece of advice that I'd give to anybody when, you know, got either going out on your own or, you know, looking for new opportunities. Like if you connect with the person that you potentially could be working for or working with, just honestly hold on to that because it just mm. makes it so much more pleasurable. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I started off as a, a junior account manager with them. And I remember calling my dad back in Brisbane um, saying, look, I, I've got this really good opportunity. And I was explaining to him sort of what, you know, what their strategic plan was, what their vision was. And it, this is anyone who knows my father knows this is not something he would usually say. And he was like, well, have you considered about maybe deferring your final semester of uni and, and <laughs> staying there? 
And I was like, what? <laughs> You're That's not meant awesome. to say that. And so I did. And um, long and short, the account that I ended up taking, a, like a, I guess managing, was the Intercontinental on Park Lane. And I grew it to be their largest contract in the UK. And so all of a sudden there was this 20-year-old, by the time I finished, it was this 20-year-old from Australia who had never worked in the luxury sector running the biggest account that they had in the country. And they're like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and I ended up staying with the company for, as I said, close to seven years. And when I left, eventually I was the GM of their London region. And so I had a team of 12 that were reporting to me wow. that again did yeah, basically we used to manage marketing comms and event staffing for events, fine dining restaurants and hotels. So, you know, without sounding like a bit of a knob, but as a, as a, you know, I was to think at the time 26, it was the most phenomenal way to get to see London and a side of London that I'd never explored or experienced. And it was, you know, the learning curve that I had in that, some of the skills, particularly from, you know, the leadership that, we were sort of, we had upon us was something that I sort of really tried to take on in how I work today. But, you know, our CEO was very much around the the fact of treating the business as your own. And he knew that like that myself and my team, we were quite a young team, but we were super hungry and driven and ambitious. And rather than confining us, he kind of gave us the leeway to create as we wanted to. And we were the highest performing team in the UK. Um, and it kind of got to this point where, you know, what I loved about that role and that opportunity, like so much of it was being thrown out of my comfort zone because I wasn't doing direct marketing. I wasn't working in advertising. All I was doing was creating and I was learning sort of through a huge amount of trial and error, you know, how to best manage people. Like my whole team, everyone was older than me. You know, I was learning an industry that I'd, you know, I'd, I'd never stepped foot in a two or three Michelin star restaurant before this. You know, I'd never, um, I'd never even been to London prior to this. So it was kind of one of these things, learning an industry as you go. But I think when you're given that level of autonomy to treat the business as your own, um, which is something I very much encourage within MASH today, um, it, it, it really kind of empowers you to do well. And yeah. I love that. And, um, and I guess from there, you know, having got this really broad lens of this, this industry and this sector, um, I, within the company, I was getting opportunities to sort of climb up, you know, the old corporate ladder, so to speak. And, um, I suddenly realized, like, I mean, I was 26, soon to be 27. Um, and I, I wasn't ready to sort of get off the tools, so to speak. I had a lot more to learn. Like I didn't want to suddenly, um, just propel into like a, a management role and sure that would have been super cushy and, you know, probably, or, I mean, a, a management role within an organization like this, where I'd be less directly involved with the day-to-day -day work and the management of the teams and more sort of overarching strategy. And, um, the interesting thing for me then was I, I really didn't know what my next step would be. But one thing within our business, this was post-recession and the biggest hit that we had had was in the fine dining restaurant world. Mm. Um, restaurants was one of our most lucrative arms, to be honest, because that's where they needed the greatest amount of support. But this was also the time when Facebook had just sort of really taken over as that sort of key social media platform um, after MySpace. So if everyone's had a MySpace page, um, so MySpace had gone, Facebook had entered and Facebook for businesses had literally just started. 
And I was seeing this dip in revenue across our key sort of restaurant clients and restaurant group clients that we were working with. And, you know, that was the like of Gordon Ramsay Holdings and Jamie Oliver and a few other sort of fast food or quick service restaurant franchises in in London. And um, I kind of went, okay, well, you know, there, there has to be, and that was the other thing, sorry, I was looking at how they were all positioning themselves in the market and they were all doing essentially the exact same thing as one another. There was nothing that differentiated them. So, you know, for me, it wasn't really like, okay, I'm going to do a marketing plan for these guys because I'd never actually worked in a marketing role. I kind of went, well, there's an opportunity here to look at how you can reconnect with customers um, based on the fact that now digital or, you know, in this context, social media was looking at reaching, a, a, I guess, a more youthful, younger audience mm-hmm. that these particularly these high-end restaurant groups um, didn't traditionally associate with. So yeah. how do you, tra- and it was a really pivotal time for, I would say, luxury brands in the UK at that, at that time um, because there was a huge shift in sort of the digitalization of these brands. Like one of my favorite, favorite all time sort of branding videos was, um, with Burberry, I think it was like in 2011, um, sort of, it's a five minute video. I'll flick it to you. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that where their, their, their then CEO, who's now the CEO, uh, who then moved on to Apple and so forth, sort of talks through the opportunity to storytell through digital touch points and how they transformed their in-store experience in a way that spoke to the next generation of Burberry, um, you know, Burberry lovers as such. And, um, and that's where it kind of got me thinking with these restaurants that were our clients for a very long time, the traditional banker or the traditional sort of local resident in these sort of very high net worth um, areas or locations weren't going out and dining like that. So how do they now reposition themselves um, to talk to a new audience? So what I did was um, for about three months, I kind of joked about it with friends being like, oh, I'm going to set up a, a blog, <laughs> which I didn't, but called um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like you, Dan. I, I like, as I said to you, such a big credit setting up a podcast because the amount of effort that goes into it. Yeah. But, um, but no, um, I didn't. I had this idea of like, I was like, yeah, because basically right now I'm going to spend all my money for three months on restaurants and rent because I felt that if I could educate myself a bit more in how these restaurants are actually working, there's an opportunity to work with them. Yeah. And I, I just was curious of how to work with them in a different way. So I started going and just eating at these places. Taking Sounds like photos really tough work. Well, it, well, it was, I just went, I just kind of went, what have I got to lose? And then the thing was is, cause this was also, like I mentioned, it was sort of like the sort of shift into social media and digital and things like that. So the traditional marketing manager roles or head of marketing or, you know, head of digital or, you know, anything like that you find in restaurant groups just didn't exist back then. You know, they, they, you generally, you would find it would be like the, somebody who's kind of good at computers that would have just done that sort of stuff for them. Yeah. And, um, cause I sort of was like, that would, I kind of was just like, Oh, that would be fun, you know, working in something like that, but I couldn't find a job like that. So, mm. 
I started taking photos of these restaurants half empty and like looking at the menu and being like, well, you know, the way your price point around this is completely wrong for this audience. Da, da, da. And I started writing letters to, to the chefs directly because I knew if I got to the chef rather than the general manager, I'd have a foot in the door because yeah. the, the chef just wants to see people in their restaurants. And so I sent off about five or six letters and the first people that got back to me were um, uh, Marcus Waring at the time was part of Gordon Ramsay Holdings. So Marcus now is the face of MasterChef UK um, and I, I ended up working with him for three years and the last project that we did um, was that he consulted on the movie with Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller called Burnt. Uh, so yeah. when I got to meet when I got to meet Bradley, I was just like, yep, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, but, um, but long and short, I wrote this letter um, saying, you know, I had the opportunity to dine with you. This is my background and experience professionally, what I've done with this company. I think there's a really big opportunity that you could capitalize on with how social media could integrate as part of your marketing to reach new audiences. Um, I'd love to have the opportunity to come in and have a chat with you about that. Completely understand how busy you are, but if there was a chance, you know, I'd love to have half an hour of your time. And I sent that and I got a reply saying, can you come in next Tuesday? And I was like, oh my God. And now I actually had to write this thing because I didn't <laughs> think I was going to get anyone to reply me. And so I, um, I put together this pitch and it was funny because I was just talking about this to a member of our team this morning because she asked me how the name MASH came about and it's actually directly related to this pitch because I went in and, uh, God forbid, I would hate to see what I actually put in there, but um, I remember thinking, you know what, I probably won't get an opportunity like this again and it was just so random that I was like, I've just got to give this the best shot I have because I don't know what the outcome could actually be. Um, and so I went in there and I sat down with Marcus Waring and, you know, we're in the, the sort of in the kitchen itself. And it is the most phenomenally beautiful kitchen, um, in his restaurant in Knightsbridge. And, um, I sort of had this presentation and we're talking through it. And, you know, I think the thing I quickly learned, and this is something I think was sort of a real blessing in disguise for me because I ended up working directly with chefs for the next seven years after this is that when you are talking with somebody who is, um, you know, a real leader in their industry, a lot of times in marketing, branding, communications, all the buzzwords that we sort of are uh, sort of brought up with isn't the language that they speak. So mm. I needed to be able to, you know, get them to appreciate how brand could really be a value or an asset to their business. And so I got to this, you know, I think it was like page three or four and he flipped it over before I, um, before I actually finished. And I kind of went, do you know what? I'm never going to probably sit opposite this man again. So I am just going to say, excuse me, do you mind if we just go back? Cause I hadn't finished as yet. <laughs> it was a bit <laughs> like, sure. Okay. And, um, and then we, we, we I, I sort of went, all right. So I, <laughs> well, I was just like, one, I'm never going to be able to come and eat here again if you don't give me a job. Two, yeah. I was like, what have I got to lose? Like, you know, I'm hustling for a job here that doesn't exist and you don't know what I'm talking about. So let's try and take a step back. And um, I can't, his, and his, I knew because I'd researched that his wife was, um, like in, he met his wife at work when he was Gordon Ramsay's business partner. So him and Gordon were business partners for 
oh, quite a number of years. Um, and they'd parted ways, which was um, not too not too long before this. And it was all over the news. And so why I saw this being an opportunity is because I knew he needed to define what he now stood for. And, um, and so I said, if you were making a meal for your wife, um, you know, say you're making a beautiful piece of Wagyu steak, how would you cook that? And he was just like, what? And so basically we played this analogy out if he was cooking a piece of steak. And I said, all right, well, if that was your main meal and say I had a packet of mashed potato that's in, a, in you know, one of those packet mixes that you add hot water to yeah, and then yeah. you yeah, put it on the side. And I was like, so what would you think if I did that? And he's like, he literally said to me, you know, what the, what the F are you talking about? And I was like, well, okay, you, let's take for a second that your business is this beautiful piece of steak right? Everything that you've worked so hard for. And, you know, Marcus was, um, the toughest, but best boss I've ever had. Um, his work ethic was just surreal. Um, and I was like, you know, your attention to detail and how you work and, you know, to be, you know, one of the world's best chefs, you know, what goes into how you cook that is everything in the same way. So is your approach to business. But, you know, the thing is marketing, branding, communications, you know, strategy, tone of voice, all of these words that we use every day, a lot of people just see that as a complimentary arm, kind of like mm. a side dish, right? But if you have a really dodgy side dish or if your side dish doesn't actually complement your main meal, um, the fact is it ruins the whole dish. Yeah. And so uh, basically I gave this very long drawn out analogy of how mashed potato is kind of like marketing and you need good mash to make sure that your business flourishes. <laughs> da, da, da. And he said when I ended up working with him for just under three years and um, at my leaving drinks, he's like, yeah, you know, when Tash interviewed, like she's talked for ages about something to do with mashed potato. And I just thought if I don't give her a job, she's not going to stop. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, I mean, that sort of, stepped me into working with chefs and I worked for Marcus. Um, I then had the, I, I came back to Australia after being in London for close to nine years. Um, my intent was to do my master's in Sydney, which, and then come back to, um, come back to, well, go back overseas. But I found myself working for another Australian chef, um, a guy of the name of Luke Mangan, who had a very different business portfolio to Marcus. Um, Luke at the time had 25 restaurants uh, across five different countries. He had brand partnerships with Virgin Australia, P&O Cruises, uh, Tourism Australia, um, and he was housed in Sydney. And in a very similar way, to, as I did with Marcus, I reached out to Luke on LinkedIn and I found his business portfolio just really interesting, to be honest, like just how diverse it was. And it was surrounded around one person and not with any agenda, but just really went, look, I'd love to have a chat because obviously what you've created is, you know, um, um, you know, amazing. And he was yeah, very kind, allowed me to come for a coffee. And I think that was, you know, um, Again, he said to me, well, write me a job description. What can you do for me? Um, so again, I wrote a job description. This time I had a bit more practice because I had done that in my previous role. Um, and, you know, I, again, worked with Luke for just under three years. And um, the interesting thing during my time working with both Luke and Marcus, it was a real catalyst to sort of what I do now. And I think having come from that slightly more corporate background, um, from a, you know, a large organization in the UK where you have surplus budgets, you know, you're working with very glamorous brands that um, have the ability to, uh, I guess, diversify how they go to market. 
when you're working with somebody, regardless of how high their profile is, but when it's actually their own money on the line and their investment and they're investing in you to do something great for them, you learn really quickly to be resourceful, you know, and you have to still be able to achieve results and, you know, bring a team together. And at the end of the day, follow through with somebody else's vision. You know, this is their brand that they've put their blood, sweat and tears into. And I think that's the, the really fascinating thing with working with chefs, you know, they're chefs, I always say, are like they're creatives that just happen to cook. But at the same time, a great chef also has to be very commercially minded because, you know, you're playing with very lean margins and, you know, how you actually combine that with making people happy, creating something. Um, it, it, honestly, it is one of the most, uh, I feel, industries that should be so highly regarded and respected because working for both of these guys, the amount I learned not well much to my mother's dismay I still can't cook very well but it's <laughs> like it's it's one of those things that you you learn so much about I guess not only business but you know how to with customer service how do you continually evolve how do you continually stay relevant um at a pace that um I think is something that probably why there's also quite a you know there's that perception that there's quite a high burnout rate in, in, in food and beverage, you know, obviously that's changing now. Um, but it was a, it was a real blessing in disguise. And, you know, when I was working for both Marcus and Luke, one thing I had to look at doing to sort of, I guess, look to achieve the results that we were looking to achieve, um, was going, well, where do I find the best or, you know, the most suited skill sets to support me, whether that is in strategy, whether that is in execution, whether that's in digital, whether that's in PR, whatever the, whatever the areas are. And so I, um, instead, I guess, instead of going to a traditional agency, you know, and, you know, a lot of our brand partners, particularly when I was working with Luke, you know, we were working with some of the best brands that were in Australia, um, they were working with, you know, all the big players and no doubt exceptional work was being produced and, you know, the, the quality and caliber of the individuals were coming in. But I was like, well, we don't have the budget to do that. And at the same time, obviously, having grown up professionally in that advertising space, I, I was fortunate as a starting point, a lot of my friends were working agency side. And I was just, like, I guess, noticing in sort of the background this continual shift happening both in London and obviously with my role with Luke, it was um, an Asia pack role. So I was frequently over in Singapore, Japan, um, Indonesia, um, a fair bit. And, you know, colleagues and friends of mine there, there was this continual shift of people looking to go and work for themselves. And when I say, um, I sort of say inverted commas people, obviously there's this perception that a freelancer is, you know, somebody who wants to write a blog a day, sit in Bali, drink a mojito, and then, you know, post a selfie and get paid millions. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the fact is the, 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 the real interesting piece I was finding was that wasn't the people that I was seeing going out on their own. It was people who were exceptional at what they were doing, so much so that they were highly in demand across a particular area and they were so in demand, they really didn't need to advertise it. But one of the things, one of the key reasons they went out on their own is that they were looking for the freedom to choose work that actually fulfills them. And a mm. really good example is um, an art director that I still have the pleasure to work with today. He actually did the brand identity work for us at MASH. 
Um, he worked, he's worked for a number of the big agencies, um, you know, Clems, MC Saatchi, et cetera, um, and had a, quite a senior role with them before he moved on. And he, he's got two little boys and his whole thing was, you know, I, I had been sort of churning and burning briefs. I've learned a lot. It's amazing, but I actually want a bit more flexibility for my family. And I want to choose the types of briefs that I actually enjoy doing rather yeah. than just doing what gets thrown at my desk. And that's how when I was working for both Luke and Marcus, instead of going to an agency that has won, you know, hundreds of awards for building and execute, uh, like building, a, you know, digital strategies or SEO strategies, et cetera, I looked for the people who worked at those agencies and then had gone out on their own. Yeah. And then from my background in my first role where I was heavily involved in, you know, recruitment and the curation of teams, I kind of brought in that skill set and kind of went, well, what sort of people would want to work in a brand like this? And I basically started building my own agency teams. So much so the work that we did with Luke, I mean, we had, um, I sort of said this to someone, other, I mean, our budget for what, I won't say what it was, for building this particular sort of, we did a complete brand refresh um, that was not to be just focused in Sydney, but globally across all of the sort of areas that Luke was in that we needed to take back out to market Um the budget to take that back out to market was, I'm going to say it was lean. I'm not going to say how much it was. It was lean, but we generated close to $3 million worth of PR around that. And that was based around the fact of we had a, an exceptional team. And actually one of the strategists that worked with me on that is now a masher who works with us. I basically, I always say, I'm like, you made me look really good. So like, when you go out on your own, you have to come and work with me on this. And um, so we, we, you know, that, caused quite a bit of attention. And, you know, for me personally, it's sort of, um, I, I did get a bit of recognition around it, but at the same time, it kind of made me go, um, wow, this is, this is quite cool. Do you know, like in the sense that it kind of proved this sort of hypothesis I had in my head that if you get people completing work that they have ownership around skills, I learned from my first role, but at the same time, generally ha- seek a level of fulfillment around those type of projects really great results can happen. So I, I, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, from there, um, I I wish I could say that I went and went, okay, cool. I'm going to go start a business. Um, no, I didn't have the guts to do it, to be honest. I sort of had this idea, but I was like, I have no idea how I can make this into a commercial model, to be honest. Like, how does this work other than it just being sort of me and a bunch of, you know, people that I know and trust that work around it. And I sort of sat on my hands for a while and I, I was really getting itchy feet now to start my own business, but I had a number of ideas. And I, I, I think also, you know, at this point, um, I was 31 and that, that's obviously still very young, <laughs> but I think I was like, you know, I sort of got to myself where, um, you know, I, I had a, a nice way of living. I was, I was very happy. You know, I liked going out to nice restaurants and I was like, oh, you know, just now to all of a sudden put that all on hold and, you know, compromise or sacrifice a bit. Did I have that in me? Um, but you know, the world works in really unusual ways. And, um, I got headhunted for a role down in Melbourne that I took for all the wrong reasons. I was not passionate about the industry. There were some alarm bells that, um, I sort of felt when I was going through it. But at the same time, you know, I think the way I justified it to myself and it wasn't something I admitted initially, but now I openly talk about it because had I not done this, I would probably never have had the guts to start my own business. Um, 
they offered me a very nice piece of paper that looked very, very good on paper. You know, I was like, great, I can um, save a heap of money and I can start my own business after two years of working here. Um, Did I do that? Of course not. I got myself (laughs) like a kick-ass apartment. And then I like basically was like, what am I doing? And long and short though, I, um, I went into this role and I went with sort of a really positive sort of outlook around it quickly realized that the culture of the company was not something that I um, adhered to at all. Um, It was, yeah, quite a horrific company culture. Um, So much so that I wasn't there for longer than four months. And literally as soon as I left, I started MASH. I um, uh, really, it was for me a blessing in disguise because it made me realize what I don't want. And it was the first time ever I made a decision to do anything with money. Like I've never been motivated by money. I've always been curious to just create, you know, Mm. and this was the first time because I thought I needed that stability to start a business. And um, I think the best piece of advice I got was from my younger brother. I called him, he's very wise, my younger brother, annoyingly (laughs) so, but I called him and I was like, look, you know, and I was saying all this stuff and he just went, Tash, like, Firstly, can you just get over yourself? And I was like, ouch. I was like, I wouldn't say. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, no. He's like, you've just moved to Melbourne. He's like, you haven't been in Australia. I mean, you haven't been in, my mom and dad live in Melbourne. He's like, you haven't, you know, been in the same city as our mom and dad for what, 14 years or so. He's like, end of the day, if this fails, you can go live with them. And if that doesn't motivate you to make sure it really works, (laughs) then you know what? I don't know what will. And, um, And it was kind of the, like the harsh reality I needed to hear because it was kind of one of those things, okay, you know, if you're going to do something, just bite your lip and do it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I did and I decided, um, which was a, which was a, I mean, a decision I made, but I actually did move out of my apartment and I moved back home with my family for just under six months to set up the business. Um, And that was something I did just to basically, I guess for me also to go, okay, I'm, I'm actually serious about this, you know? So, um, and that was, you know, a bit of a sacrifice there, but you know, I was really lucky. Like, you know, I, I, my mom's pantry is always full and although (laughs) all my friends were in a very different position to me at this point, I just kind of sucked it up and said, okay, no, this is what I'm doing. And the whole idea of what I was going to do, and I didn't know how exactly what I was going to do it, but I saw the opportunity was, um, there was this shift that was happening globally. People are now working for themselves. More and more people are going and working for themselves. There's this area of, you know, hyper-specialized boutique agencies. There are the global multinational agencies. There are freelancer platforms. Um, We weren't looking to be any one of those three, but really an amalgamation of sort of the the good of those areas, but in a way that is... Um, enabling clients to have access to highly vetted, um, curated teams of independent talent that can be plugged in and out of their company when they require, meaning they're paying for big brand thinking without the overheads. And my sort of whole goal around that was to ensure that the, the, the community that we were cultivating were of a particular type of individual and mindset rather than just being um, rather than just being, you know, here's 10 art directors that are really good, (laughs) you know, it's, it's looking at really understanding what a business is looking to achieve. And, 
um, how do you curate the right skill sets to support that? So we now, after just on two years, um, we're obviously our head office is here in Melbourne. Um, we have a hub in Singapore and a hub in Amsterdam, and we've got a, a community now of mashers, as we call them, um, cool. of just <laughs> just over eighty people um, across four different continents, and that whole network. Um, has been built purely on referral. So it's, you know, our business has been built purely through word of mouth. Um, and uh, that's a different story. I can talk about that separately. But um, yeah, so our business has been built purely through word of mouth and purposely. So, you know, to keep quality and um, I guess the, 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 uh, the ex- not only the experience, but the type of people that we're looking to bring in within the network, um, it's done through a few degrees of separation. So yeah. in the sense that if we, we never, t- we never take on a project if we don't have the right experience or skill set of a person to build within that. So we always take it to our network first to see if anyone knows anyone. And that goes through our, our recruitment manager now. Um, and yeah, so that's a very long winded answer to your. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's an awesome story. I do have a few questions. So like, firstly, Go. where do you get your, entrepreneurial drive from you know the ability to sort of just go out on a limb go out on your own um I'm I'm, you know going back to to London you know to take the initiative to you know to go into Cosmo and and get the internship or even you know going back further to take the initiative and and find out that there was a you know a scholarship that would um would cover the the fees is there someone in your life that you get that from um I think yeah, I mean, I must say, like, that's, I've never been asked that before because I, I, I sort of, like, it's really weird. I don't really see myself as being that entrepreneurial. Like, I think I've just been, I've always been very curious. Like, I was that kid that asked a thousand questions, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was kind of, I think my dad particularly, um, you know, he's the hardest working individual I know. And he, um, it, it, I think the way we were brought up, it was just always, um I'll give a good example. So uh, when I was younger, I, I think I mentioned I used to play a lot of basketball and I, um, I think it was when I was about 15, I had an injury um, just before the state team was selected and I got a res- I, I, I got, I came reserve. So I wasn't in the final squad of 10 and my dad, I was, I was gutted, you know, like I really thought I was going to get in and I was, I was bottom age. So it was against girls that were one year old than me. And um, my dad's response was like, well, you know, I've invited you to still train on the weekends. If you want it that bad, go train on the weekends with them still. And like, that was just his mentality. Do you know, he's like, you know, it wasn't just, if you want something, you, you, you ask questions and you work hard for it. Yeah. And, um, and so I did, like, I, I started training on the weekends, even though I hadn't gone to the team and it was, um, it was, you know, unfortunate for another girl in that team a week before they were meant to go to nationals, she broke her finger. And because I had been training every weekend with these guys for the last like three months, obviously I got put into the squad and it, for me, it was just this weird sort of, um, how do I say like reality check? Cause like, had I not asked, well, can I go do this? I would never have got that opportunity. So I think, you know, like I kind of always, um, I joke about it now with my team, but like particularly with, with work, I don't feel it to be work because it's, you know, when you, when you're doing something that's so true to you and it's very true to your values and what you stand for, 
you know, you should feel confident to be able to ask questions because there's never any right or there's never any wrong answers, you know? And if you're just continuously like, um, you know, being curious to find out more, then it sort of allows you to sort of assess the the challenge or the opportunity in a different way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. No, that's a great, that's a great answer. And, and, and that's awesome. Good on you for uh, training on the weekends and getting onto the squad. So. Yeah, man, seriously. It's so funny. Anybody who knows my dad now, like, cause my dad was so tough on my brother and I growing up, but he's just like such a teddy bear now. And people are like, I can't, I can't imagine him like that. I'm like, I know. I was like, you didn't see him when we were 15 though. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, it's good like, to be pushed, I think. I think it's... Um, yeah. yeah. But I think also there's like a really big, like an empathetic side. Like, and I think that's something for me, what I, what I really love about what we do is understanding. It, sound, it sounds so cliche, but it's like it's understanding other people's motivations. Yeah. So like I used to like, this is, <laughs> I sound like, like a weirdo saying this, but when I used to even work in like in a bar, like for me, it would, I'd play this sort of game. I'm trying to guess like as someone got more and more drunk, what would they order to drink? Do you know what I mean? And I would be like <laughs> going, seriously, so you, you were working there four nights a week. So you had to figure out different ways. And I'd be like, what would they be having? What would this? And then just try and work out how to best, whether it is look after somebody or talk to somebody or it's trying to put it into their context. And yeah. I, I, I think I've just always like, you know, I've never really read fictional novels. I've always loved reading biographies. Like I've always been really interested in learning, um, I guess, you know, high performing people, how, how they sort of think. And I think that was for me, what was fascinating working with chefs, you know, I I joked about it early on, you know, of Indian descent, you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And yet I was meeting people here that, you know, there's this perception, you know, chefs, uh, it's, it's a, um, you know, it's a trade, but then when you meet somebody who's, you know, at the top of their game, whether they're a chef, whether they're a surgeon, whether they're a teacher, whether they're a lawyer, they carry the same mentality, you know, and that I find really interesting, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I kind of always say like the, the industry that we, that I sit in now, um, like this, that's why I kind of love what we do at MASH because I actually get to work with people who are exceptional at marketing and branding. Cause I'm like, I, I don't feel that's my, my, my straight skill set. I actually <laughs> think so, you know, it's just more so just being curious about people. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, yeah, it, it is highly motivated when you surround yourself with exceptional people, you know, people who are far smarter, uh, than you, or I love, I love situations when I feel like I'm, I'm surrounded by people who, you know, I've been in meetings before where you're like, holy shit, the people in this room are so damn smart. And I feel like I just better not say something dumb and just like, yeah. I've succumbed to the fact that I am the person that's going to say that. <laughs> so I just like, I now hold that up and just yeah. go compare. And just embrace it's it. Kind, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Cause like, I think I was probably worse when I was a bit younger, but I would say the first thing that comes to my head. And I think that's something that I've obviously had to learn now, but it's, um, 
Yeah, I, you know, and that, that's something I kind of always, you know, say to clients or even our internal team now, you know, a lot of businesses sort of, you know, that, that whole analogy, look after your people and they'll look after you. But the fact is our business does not exist if we don't have this community of independent people who want to work with us because I'm personally not going in and developing a brand strategy project from start to finish. I'm My job is to understand what is, well, firstly, what is the the challenge that the client is looking to overcome? And then actually, how do we almost diagnose that challenge? And what is the curation of skills and experience and background and passions that you need to fulfill that? And, um, and that's where sort of our, our, our team internally at MASH, there's, um, there's five of us now um, that manage these projects here in Australia, um, Singapore and Amsterdam. Um, and again, you know, I guess kind of like my whole approach to, to not only my personal life, but business as well is, you know, I'm very fortunate. The five people that I work with are actually five very close friends of mine. Um, and you know, for instance, Amy, who has been my best friend since I was 11 years old, um, her and my life path have crossed in and out since we were, since we were children. And she Let's moved go. back to Melbourne. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like people always go like, oh my gosh, like how do you work with your friends? Um, Sarah, who is not only my flatmate in Melbourne, um, but she now came on as a, as a partner of MASH earlier this year. Um, you know, people are just like, how the heck do you do this in terms of this? And, but the fact is like from us, I think if, you know, a lot of people say you can't work with friends. My sort of answer is, well, you just haven't met the right ones as yet. Because yeah. The, the, yeah. the biggest thing is these people are your friends because you share those same values. Mm. And, you know, it, it was, you know, I'm not one that's like, it's not just luck in the sense of people being in the right place and right time. But, you know, with Sarah, she used to work at Ernst & Young in London. She moved over to Australia realized she had moved, you know, halfway around the world and was doing the exact same thing as she was in London. And, you know, we were talking one night, she, we were having a few wines and she's like, what am I doing? And, you know, I think at the time I'd probably been running MASH for about seven months and we had organically grown now to the point that I didn't realize how well we were doing. Like, I mean, in our first 12 months of operation, um, like I was making almost three times as much as what I was when I was full time in a role. And I kind wow. of was just like, but I didn't even, I, I, I was burnt out. I, I needed to reset after that because I think that was just where I needed to learn how to balance everything out. But, you know, with Sarah, I was like, you know, I, I don't know in what capacity that you and I can work together, but I could see she gets shit done. She's super smart. And we obviously had so many shared values that we knew from when we were friends. And, um, and I said, look, I need some help in how we operationalize and streamline this process that I've built. Like, I know it's got legs and I've, I know which way we need to take it. Like, just come in and see, see if you can get an understanding of how we work. And I think the next piece just epitomizes Sarah. She, you know, the first, we were, we at the time had a shared office in the city and we actually gave up our shared office last October because we decided that we were going to go hundred percent remote. Um, Good timing. Yeah, it was actually, it was so lucky actually. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but long and short, um, the first day when Sarah came and walked in, um, she was reading this book like about marketing. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, well, she'd never worked a day in her life in marketing. And now she heads up all of our operations and commercial um, across the whole business. And 
she, I've always said she was a true marketer, but she, <laughs> she just didn't know it. And, um, and Amy, on the other hand, you know, um, I, I sort of joke about this because when I initially asked Amy, Amy was the first person that came and worked with me. Um, and to be honest, um, in the early days, it was, a, I think, one of my first first or second projects that we had done and um, we needed some extra support with um, some design work and Amy was um, a senior art director within um, within Country Road Group here in Melbourne yeah. and um, I basically called her and I said, look, I really could do with some extra help. The deadline's been pushed and, you know, we need to get this done by tomorrow. And she's like, Tash, I'm at work. I'm like, Ames, please, is there any way you can help me? Like, seriously, just let me know, you know, and she just went, okay, okay. Um, look, I'll, I'll be home in an hour and let me know. And so she worked with the team to help pull that all together. It was just, and, um, which was great. We got it delivered. And the next day I go, oh, do you know, like we work really well together. You know, <laughs> would you ever consider doing this? And her answer was no way. <laughs> and so she's now also though, um, a minority <laughs> shareholder at MASH. So, you know, we always joke about it. I'm like, yeah, no, Ames, I would, when I started and I asked her, she had no interest in working with me, but <laughs> so, That's um, awesome. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you said you're at 80 MASHes now. How big do you want to grow it? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, look, I'll be honest. Like it's one of those things. Um, and I've just realized I'm saying this on a podcast and so now people know, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's one of those things we generally, and it's only now I started bash because I, 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 I had a sort of a, an idea of how I wanted my life to look. And I initially said this, um, actually said this to an ex-boyfriend and he was like, don't be silly. You can't start a business like this. And I was like, watch me, we'll do it. (laughs) But the the idea was, you know, like I, I grew up professionally in London. So a large proportion of my, my network and basically how I learned to work, so to speak, was in London. Like I moved back to Australia when I was 30, having last worked at Sports Girl as a casual at Indrapilly when I was growing up, you know, so I'd never really worked in Australia. Um, So that was there. Um, My family were in Australia. So I wanted to have an association to Australia. But then through my last job, when I was working with Luke, I was doing a lot of work in Asia and I saw there being um, a gap in the market there in terms of skills, background and experience, particularly from um, brand strategy um, and all the way to creative execution. And I went, okay, I want to form, and I said this about three, three years ago before I came to Melbourne, I want to form a business that allows me to have a connection to Australia so I can see my family. It services clients in Asia but I need to be able to still go back to Europe uh, because that's where my, my heart, like I just basically put this all out there and I was like, the business can't have boundaries. It needs to be remote working. It needs to be about building teams. Um, and I put this all together and that, that was my, that was my idea. And I, you know, I think that's probably, even though we're a very, very young business and we've got a long way to go, you know, it's not necessarily about going, this is how big we want to grow. And you know, this is what we, obviously we have commercial goals and what we're looking to target and reach, but that's never been our approach to growth. Our approach to growth has been very much focused on, well, you know, our value is all about empowerment. How do we empower, you know, freelancers and independent creative strategists and, you know, digital, um, digital experts to have that freedom to choose work that fulfills them? And how do we empower clients 
to produce really beautiful work and really sort of, and results specifically, but, you know, very ROI driven um, without the overheads and having access to a, a really curated selection. And to be honest, my, my sort of thought around that is if we can just do that and do those areas better and do just keep growing and, you know, my, my whole piece, why, you know, I invited Sarah and Amy, I wanted them to be, you know, come on as partners in MASH um, is because, you know, for me, having not just autonomy sort of, you know, uh, sort of just saying that somebody can run it, but for everyone to have a piece in terms of how they want MASH to be part of their life in what they're doing um, mm. has been yeah, like I think for me, that's been a really rewarding thing to see, do you know? And yeah. as long as I can keep seeing that, then let's just keep going, you know? So, <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> yeah. And um, and I guess how do you, you know, with with people across the world uh, as mashes? So you said you've mm-hmm. got a hub in hub in Melbourne and Singapore and Amsterdam, or is it Sydney? So we our hubs here in Melbourne, but we work with clients yep. in Singapore. Sorry, in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane here in Australia. Um, And then in Singapore and Amsterdam, we have ambassadors. So that was something that, and so we have projects that run through there. So our business now is currently split between predominantly Singapore and Australia. Um, We were quite fortunate around this time last year, we had a client that our engagement sort of saw us working across Asia Pac. So we had a, a a mashup team that was um, built to develop a brand partnership strategy and to roll it out for a global triathlon series. And I think that's something, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's been quite unique um, for us in terms of as we've grown organically. One of my goals very early on was I didn't want the business to be completely um, centered around myself. You know, like I said, our ability is very, very, very much strongly related to the caliber of people within our community. And that community, you know, that their experience is so vast and varied in terms of background and experience. You know, people who've worked for the UN, people who've worked in luxury fashion, people who've worked in property, you know, but at the same time have their own individual stories within that. So for us, when we talk to a brand, um, we're not specified by client category. You know, it it really is looking at businesses that are forward thinking and are looking for, I guess, more efficient, agile and effective ways to to solve problems. That's really where we can slot in. But, um, you know, for us now, one of the things that we, I guess, kind of realized, um, well, I guess relatively early on is, you know, word of mouth has been pivotal to our success. So, we to date haven't spent a cent on our own marketing or advertising. Um, And one of the, yeah, it was um, one of the things that we decided to do was um, it was really to go, well, so many people have been good to us and so many people have, you know, opened doors for us. How do we structure this in a way that we actually help them as well? And one of the things we we realized was, you know, um, there's been some very, some really special people that within our business that have opened doors and we've got a number of random stories of how businesses come about. Like I had uh, like a lady overhear a conversation that I was having on the phone to an art director once when I was working in a cafe, which led to one of our biggest projects because she had a new business that was coming through and et cetera. But what, she just overheard the- you talking at the cafe. 
And then just yeah. kind of oh, that's awesome. That's the kind of eavesdropping you don't mind. I'll tell you about that because it, it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy story. But um, um, but yeah, no. So I mean, basically for us, we recognise they're leaders in sort of um, you know pre like accomplished marketers, CMOs, creative leads. Um, who have sort of this interest in this new way of working and quite frankly have just approached us because they want to see how they can support and help. And so, you know, we've got now sort of one of the ex-global business directors for DDB worldwide as an ambassador based out in the US. We've got the ex-executive um, director for brand for Marina Bay Sands, who's now based here in Brisbane. Um, the ex-creative global producer for Adidas who leads where I work in Amsterdam. So they work with us as sort of a, a conduit to, you know, the fact is we, we are a remote working community. They sort of work with MASH to test sort of new markets that we're working on, educate big agency clients on actually the solutions that we provide, um, you know, looking at actually d- different ways of how we can roll out different initiatives there. So we do a virtual dinner party series called Eat Your Mistakes, which is a um, basically like a think tank for new clients with our mashes. So they work with us in a lot of different ways. So we've got now probably about, uh, probably about almost a third of our business in Singapore and then the rest of us, well, also a third here and, and in, over in Europe. So it's quite evenly yeah. split at the moment. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> and how do you, how do you stay connected with the, with the entire team? <sighs> that's been um, probably, and that's been one of the things that we have worked really hard on in the last year. And it sort of, again, happened um, as a baptism of fire because our growth really happened quite quickly in a short period of time. So we had to learn fast. And this is something I think what's really lends to the strength of our internal team and our skill sets that we've got in here. Um, We're a very complimentary team. And one of the things we have done is actually built in two new full-time roles, one being just overseeing all client experience and the other looking after all community management with that. So we have a number of sort of systems in place in terms of not only how new mashes come on board, but then also how we continuously connect with them. So we're, um, we're just about to roll out actually a new sort of community engagement program called Mash Miles, which is sort of our um, internal sort of um, incentive and engagement piece that we're running with all of our mashes. Um, I personally speak to pretty much all of them over a course of every, within every three weeks, I've spoken to everyone. So like that, 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 that happens. But then right now, Ben and our team who leads our community team, he basically, basically his big part of his role is to connect and speak to all of our mashes on a weekly basis and find out how projects are going. Obviously Sarah, who looks after our operations, we use a number of digital platforms and systems as well to streamline everything. Um, actually small plug, if you have a look at planetofthefreelancers.com, um, that was a, that was a, um, uh, I guess a piece of content that we produced recently, um, that was helping, I guess, remote communities, um, sort of how they can better connect with one another. And so obviously we use another, a number of sort of already um, developed digital platforms that we sort of, so whether that's Slack, whether that's WhatsApp, all of our mashup teams have their own WhatsApp team with our client experience manager, Cara. 
Um, we have weekly whip meetings for every mashup team that we work with. Um, I mean, I've got to say how hard our internal team work is extraordinary. Um, and I'm so fortunate with that. And I think that's where for us now we are in the next six months sort of investing ourselves into a digital platform, which we've already developed the prototype around not to, um, not to replace our service model, but rather to um, help enhance and streamline it to actually make that ability to connect with um, our community as we work with them on projects and as we speak to them on a continual basis about that. Yeah, that's cool. And, yeah. um, and how do you, I, I want to get to the story about how you got that, uh, how you got that point <laughs> for the cafe. Should, so I, I tell you that? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but, but before, um, before we get there, um, <laughs> how do you bring on new talent and how do you, you know, how do you onboard someone? You mentioned before you've got an onboarding process, but say there's a freelancer out there who's amazing at what they do. Um, yeah. How do they become a masher? Yeah. So, I mean, as mentioned, and this is something, it's not a, it's not from an elitist point of view. It's not from a, um, any way of, um, I guess, I guess one of the interesting things that's happened with COVID, if we frame it around this current time right now, and you know, it's been really unfortunate with regards to what's happened in this time where it's placed so many question marks around, you know, how, how job security sits, you know, what do jobs really look like, um, in this new world that we're entering in, you know, marketing budget budgets have been completely, you know, demolished. And, you mm. know, there's all of a sudden been this huge insurgence of, I'd say sort of inverted commas, freelance talent and people now having been unfortunately let go. Um, so much so we were getting inundated. And for us, you know, there's a number of um, online platforms. All of a sudden there's been a huge um, increase of, you know, small agencies that are curating teams of freelancers, which from our side is awesome because it's placing, I guess, um, a greater spotlight on, you know, the value around remote working. But for us, it's something we've been doing for over two years now. Um, and so our process around it is we, we do work on referral only. So it's not yeah. something in terms of people, um, sort of applying within that, that being said, you know, there are a few people that have approached us whose background and experience has been so highly specialized that, you know, we were very keen to speak to them, you know, and I guess mm. our whole approach as a team is if we can talk to a client about, you know, the, the, the name of, um, a particular mash's son or daughter, what they they do on the weekends, um, three or four brands that they've worked with, uh, what they actually enjoy designing, developing or doing, um, and then actually say, you know, what they do. That's the level of detail we kind of want to know about somebody. So yeah. um, our recruitment process within that, um, Ben and our team, he does the first sort of introductory meeting with, um, with them. And that's really just to, I guess, really find out who they are as a person, you know, like that, that, that's the first thing that we look for being a remote work, um, you know, a, a remote workforce. It's really important that, um, and, you know, obviously Ben's got his process around that in terms of what we look for within our sort of community of mashes within that. But it's kind of, I guess, like a, a vetting process to go like, yeah. who is this person? Um, what are they about? Why are they working for themselves? Um, what is it that they're looking to achieve? What's the challenges that they've had going out for their own? And then that's sort of what we sort of say. It's like, okay, is there a connection in terms of this, the type of people that would fit well within our community? Uh, we then sort of go into that. That's a really sort of short upfront call. Then we sort of get the, um, 
an overview of all portfolio work, case studies, um, references as well and referral checks. Um, and that's where we have a member of what we call sort of like our, um, well, we send through our MASH pack, which is basically sending through an overview of what our brand is about to them because that's also important for them to understand what our values are as a business but also how we can support them working for themselves. And if from there, the third part is actually an interview with either our strategic creative or production lead. So one of the big things that we set up this um, this year was basically our sort of ethos of drinking the Kool-Aid. So we don't actually... Um, all of our marketing, all of our branding, all of our communications and all of our senior leads across disciplines are all mashes. So they're not actually full-time people within our organization, but rather they have an added level of responsibility when it comes to recruitment and vetting and understanding. So they're actually specialists interviewing other creative directors, interviewing other strategists, interviewing other production leads. Um, And then once that goes through, we then do reference checks, um, which is led usually by Sarah and Ben in our team who run that through, so with previous pieces. And then we go through our induction of how we work. You know, how does it work in terms of in terms of payroll, in terms of invoicing, in terms of client briefs, in terms of scopes, in terms of timelines? Um, you know, one of the big things for us that we started um, from, from day dot, you know, the, the, one of the biggest challenges when going out on your own is getting paid on time. So, you know, our payment terms with all mashes is 14 days, um, which is something that is unheard of within our industry. But at the same time, it's kind of how we've been able to set up our structures with, um, with how we work with our clients and our own cash flow. So, you know, making sure people have a really clear overview of not only what the brief is, what the projects are. We don't white label anybody in our network. Um, yeah. So, again... Yeah, yeah, so that's probably one of our biggest differentiators. And, you know, there's been a <laughs> few interesting things that have happened in the last few months where, you know, particular mashes in our network who are exceptional what they do um, and clients have gone to another agency that specialise um, in a particular se- sections, whether that was, um, you know, social media or content production. And then the clients come back to us because they've realised that the agency actually had the same mashes working for them in-house but charging them for all the overheads that were in there. So, you know, I think um, from our side, we don't like label, you know, we give transparency to the client and to the masher. This is the team. And, you know, a question that we get asked all the time is, well, how do you know that, you know, clients won't go directly to the talent and the talent directly won't go to the client? Um, Well, I don't. (laughs) But to this day... That's never happened and I sort of really credit that to the process that we undertake in recruitment and also in the process that we undertake and try to look after our clients. So, you know, I think that's where um, we put a lot of, you know, there's, there's five steps really in terms of how we even onboard somebody and that's all being done manually through our team here. Um, And so, you know, at the moment um, that, that sort of really credits um, as to why. Yeah, that's cool. Nice yeah. to share in the, uh, yeah, how, how detailed you go into in terms of um, <laughs> onboarding someone. No, that's great. I mean, it's, yeah, it's obviously a very thorough um, sort of onboarding process, but I guess it has to be given that it's, you know, remote. And and like you said, there's so, so much transparency between the matter and the client. So for you guys, it's incredibly important to know who's um, representing your brand. That's it. That's it. And I think that's where like, 
partly for us, you know, exactly to your point, Dan, it's, it, it's representing our brand, but we're also representing them, you know? So yeah, the fact yeah, is yeah. we're not white labeling them. And it, it, what's important for me is, as I say to many of our mashes and how we sort of talk about it as a team is that if we can't actually speak to who this person is, how can we properly talk about you to a client? you know? Mm. And, and for me, that's where it, it needs to be able to roll off our tongue. If somebody goes, Oh, you know, what's M like, what's Dan like, you know, what's Steph like, what's Mel like, you know, and I can be able to tell them about them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. this is, that's something as a team that we sort of, um, you know, that was a, a challenge we sort of put in ourselves earlier this year is that that's how well we need to know everyone. Um, and it, because of, and also because we're looking to work with, uh, you know, it is a very thorough process, so it's a very specific type of individual and the type of people we want to work with, which are generally speaking, um, obviously absolute legends, but at the same time, um, people who have a level of pride in what they do and want to do better on anything that they do. And I think that's something that level of autonomy comes with a particular type of person who has had experience in working for themselves, you know? Um, yeah. so Yeah. All right. So tell me about getting the cafe, uh, client from the cafe because that uh, sounds like a great story. Yeah, we've uh, had a lot of random stories, like really funny ones. But this, yeah, this one's would probably be one of my favorites just because of the situation. So um, this was probably about, um, gosh, probably about a month after I'd started Mash, and I was working for a cafe in a cafe in Carlton. So like I just popped my laptop up there and I was, um, you know, typing away. And I think at this point, so when I, when I started MASH, um, my approach wasn't to, you know, basically shout and scream about it because to be honest, I, you know, I, I think this was something, uh, you know, a piece of advice I got from one of my old bosses when I said to him that I wanted to go out on my own. Um, he was like, Tash, hundred percent back you, like you, you'll be great, but you need to learn to back yourself. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, course I back myself. I wouldn't be saying this at the time, but the hard reality was, is until I actually went out on my own, I kind of realized I hadn't backed myself and I was afraid of failing, but at the same breath, I wanted to test the waters, do you know? Mm. And I think that, and I don't, I don't, um, regret this at all because I, I feel for me, it was the right thing for us to do. But when I started MASH, I kind of tapped on the shoulders of a few people here in Melbourne that I had a good relationship with and said, look, this is what I'm doing. This is my idea. If ever you feel that could be of value to you in your business, I'd love to feel support. And yeah, that's basically how I got my first few clients. And, um, I was working away on one of these clients and I was working in a cafe and, um, this couple came and sat next to me and, you know, let's, this is like a Wednesday at like maybe 1130, 12, we'll say 12 because there was wine involved shortly. So, um, <laughs> but I was working away. I was drinking a coffee. They sat down and it was one of those cafes where tables are super close to one another. And I was like, Oh gosh, I'm trying to now you know, talk a bit quieter on the phone. And I had to brief in, um, uh, one of our art directors for this project. And he called me back and I was like, hi, just, uh, so I'm talking him through it. And I could tell they could clearly hear my whole conversation. I'm like trying to sink in my chair. Cause, um, <laughs> you know, like it was just really embarrassing to be honest, cause they were just like immaculately dressed, like, you know, obviously going out for a nice midweek lunch. And I got off the phone. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I'll go move somewhere else. And um, the, her, her partner was like, um, Oh, don't be silly. No worries. And they're like, Oh, so they're like, Drake, is this your office? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and, um, and they're like, Oh, what do you do? And I, um, 
hadn't actually ever given my elevator pitch to anybody because I'd just been tapping on shoulders of people I, I knew. And I said, oh, well, you know, I just recently started my own business. Um, basically, like I curate teams of creatives uh, for brands and, you know, base that on, you know, not only their budget and um, the skill sets they require, but also what, you know, creatives are looking for in terms of the types of projects and, you know, what they really enjoy. And I was really surprised because, you know, majority of people were like, huh? Uh, but these guys got it straight away. And she was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. And we um, got talking a bit more. And then um, uh, her husband was um, asked, oh, would you like a glass of wine? And I was just like, what? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so so basically I had, um, had a glass of wine with them. And he mentioned, uh, um, you know, m- my wife has um, uh, actually – I think it was just partner apologies. Yeah. My, my, my partner has actually worked in creative businesses for a very long time. Um, and I didn't want to pry and we got talking more and, um, and she sort of said, you know, her experience with creatives and how, you know, it, it, they need to work on their own terms. And I said, well, you know, the creatives we work with cross the whole discipline of strategy all the way to execution. So it's a real variety. And so I asked, I said, do you mind me asking like what your, what your background was? Cause obviously you get the industry really well. And she goes, Oh, have you heard of the brand T2 T's? And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I founded that. And I was like, Oh, wow. What? <laughs> and I was That's like, awesome. Oh, okay. And then I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And, um, and they were just so lovely. And, um, you know, I just had such a nice chat with them and it was kind of one of those things like, if, and so we left and I think we, we exchanged email addresses and, um, it was one of those things, like if you'd gone on a first date, you're like, there's definitely a second date here. Do you know what I mean? Like it was yeah, just like, yeah. it was such yeah. a good chat. And I then obviously Googled and sort of had a look and I was just like, oh my gosh, like what an amazing opportunity. You know, Marianne had was, you know, Verve Clico Businesswoman of the Year and um, just had this amazing story of how she built such an iconic Australian brand from scratch. And she had recently sold it a few years ago and her and her husband were about to start another project together, which they kind of alluded to. And so I wrote her an email the next day just saying, you know, what a wonderful encounter. Thank you so much for your time and the glass of wine. Like, um, would love to catch up again sometime, you know, just to hear more about your story. And, um, <laughs> it's funny now cause you, you, you prodded me on this earlier and I'm going to say something <laughs> that'll probably make you laugh. Um, but, and I, she didn't reply and I kind of just went, Oh, and then like a week passed and I was like, are you kidding? Like that was, that was such a good catch up. Like, do you know what I mean? That was such a random thing. Like yeah. I was definitely going to catch up with these guys again. So I wrote them another email. I was just like, hi, <laughs> um, just checking that you got this. Like, Oh God, seriously. And I said, I completely appreciate how busy you are. Um, but just that I'd follow up. And she replied within 10 minutes. She said, I'm so sorry. My daughter just finished year 12. So we've been super busy like with that absolutely love to catch up. What about Tuesday? And, um, long and short, um, they turned into, I think it was like our fourth or fifth client that we worked with, but it was one of the best projects that we got to work on too, uh, for any brand that they were developing. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think it's just like, I sort of like my brother's advice, like when I went out on my own, like, you know, you, you just have to leave your ego at the door and, you know, just be curious with it. Like, don't be pushy with it. Don't be like arrogant around it. Like if, if I sort of, you know, spoke with ego going, Oh, well, you know, she didn't reply me. Well, 
dead to me. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like it was just like one of those things going like that. There was definitely an opportunity there. Let's reconnect, you know, and some yeah. people may not, but um, yeah. So there's, there's been like, I've met people in, in, in department stores. I've met people on planes. I've met people. Um, yeah. I, I, I think my, my, my friends and family, I have a weird knack of meeting people in random situations. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. No, that's a great story. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it turned into a, a great project and a great client as well. It just, it just, yeah, I think there's a constant theme, uh, running through this podcast and it's, um, <laughs> Well, sort of one, if you don't ask, you don't get. And, uh, yeah. and also don't be afraid to put yourself out there and, um, and sort of go after what you want. I really admire that. I reckon it's really cool. If you stay true to what it sounds, but like if you stay true while you're doing something, it, you don't feel like you're putting yourself out there. Like you shouldn't be scared about that. Do you know? Mm. Like that's my whole sort of thought around it. It's not going out and aggressively pushing something or aggressively talking about something. It's just literally, um, realizing that it's you know what you do for work and how you're doing it isn't actually who you are if that yeah. makes sense you know yeah. and I think if you stay true to who you are and um and speak to that then you suddenly go oh it's actually not as scary to to go ask or to question and you know you just have to um yeah do it in a way that I guess if, like my sort of approach with that is always to look at well can I actually provide value or can I support in this rather mm. than going, what can I get out of this? Yeah. Do you know, like, yeah. it's kind of like, well, actually, and I think that's, what's been quite fortunate for us in where we're currently sitting is we've now sort of really honed in on our business and our model and how we work and why we're doing it. Um, that when we speak to people, we go, no, genuinely, we know that we can provide great work that's of value, do yeah. you know? And I think that's it's a lot of fun when you get yeah. into that. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Tash, um, I'm mindful of time and thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I want to ask thank a few you. questions, a few personal questions now. Um, so okay. firstly, what do, you, what do you do outside of work uh, as an escape? Yeah, I am. Um, oh gosh, like I'm massively into my fitness. I, I like love photography. So I used to do a lot of photography. I love my friends and family. Like I'm pretty normal, man. Like I, you know, I just do, like, I love going to restaurants. I love eating. Well, well when I'm not locked in to my apartment and being five kilometers radius in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'm very much, I like having my own time as well. Cause mm. I think I, um, I spend so much of my time like sort of with others, if that makes sense. So yeah. like, I usually come Friday, I'm like, with, like, yeah, with friends and stuff want to catch up. I'm like, I just need to chill for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I think what's been really interesting for me, like my personal life has really shifted during COVID. So like I was, um, prior to, um, I was actually meant to be moving to Singapore, um, before COVID had happened. Um, and I, yeah, I had quite a few things that I was sort of really getting into there. And like, I think it was just one of those things now it made me sort of just become a lot more present with what's happening here in Melbourne yeah. or just forcing that. Um, and yeah, like, I think it's just made me sort of re re like sort of what's 
what Melbourne has to offer. I think I was mm. ready at that time going, okay, I'm ready for a new change and we're doing a lot of work over there. And I've, um, you know, got some great, some very close friends that live over there. And I was like, cool, it'd be a nice change of scenery. And now I've been able to reconnect with, you know, so many people, like particularly a lot of my childhood friends from Brisbane that I, you know, had almost lost contact with. Like now I'm finding like, I'm just reconnecting with so many people I haven't spoken to in so long, but yeah, fitness, food, um, travel when I could travel. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> and, um, now's your chance to list those podcasts that we should be listening to. So what are your favorite uh, <laughs> books or podcasts? Um, I'm definitely more of a podcast person. Um, yeah, I think like I, it's really funny. I've only really realized this as, as as I've become older, but like, I, I don't retain things when I read a book. Like Mm. if I listen to a podcast, I, I love it. Um, what podcast do I listen to? Um, I love Lewis Howes. I love Tim Ferriss. Um, I like Ted talks. Um, I listen to a lot of fitness podcasts and like things like that. Yeah. Uh, I know I'm pretty, I'm pretty like one dimensional man. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, cause if I'm going to like switch off, then I'm like, okay, what's I'm your go to fitness podcast? Um, I like chasing excellence. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it yep. is. Yeah. Yeah. So I just really like his mentality cause it's, it's, you know, again, it sort of goes back to that idea, like what I was saying about chefs, like, um, you know, if you are at the top of your game with something, it doesn't matter what you do, you carry that same mentality through mm. all aspects of your life. And I think that's, what's really interesting with that podcast. Cause yes, it's like, and I like, it, although it's like, you know, but it's a CrossFit podcast, but you don't need to be into CrossFit to, to like that, you know, yeah. like it's yeah. kind of, um, but then, yeah, it's, I'm sort of really into like, yeah, I've got a really weird taste in movies and stuff. Like I was like one of those things, like I have like comedy films that I like love to watch, but then like, I actually like <laughs> love watching just really messed up documentaries and stuff like that. Like, so <laughs> I get, I get paid out about my taste in these sort of things all the time. So. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah, that's actually hard because I've just listened to them sort of like on the go all the time. So I sort of don't. Yeah, they're probably the, the key four that yeah. I sort of listen to. Yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> and, and finally, uh, who's someone remarkable in the branding, marketing, uh, or design industry that you know that we should speak to? Oh, gosh, so many people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's oh right. You're God, probably in a pretty unique scenario here. But you could probably <laughs> give us a list of sort of 80 to 100 names. But um, <laughs> if you wanted to just start with one. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of who to say just one person's name. Um, uh, actually, yeah, there's one woman who I think she's a, I mean, outside of, um, I think the direct guys are biasly, but also truthfully, the direct guys in my team, I think Amy and Sarah, you know, um, they're two people who don't come from a traditional marketing or advertising background yet they're two of the best that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And, um, they bring such, uh, I guess probably a unique lens to working in a startup, working with your mate, um, you know, having a particular lifestyle that comes with that. Um, but if I were to talk about, and I'm just, I'm just thinking if there's anybody else, but one person that pops into mind straight away, um, she's actually, she's a very, very good friend. Um, and, um, I met her 
I met her. She's another one of those random stories that sort of come through, but I met her at a, um, at a clothing store near my, near where I live in Melbourne. And I was actually, um, this was probably about a year ago and I was meeting a friend for a glass of wine. Um, and I was early and I'm generally never early. I'll be completely honest. And, um, (laughs) I, I was meeting someone for a glass of wine and I was like, oh, I haven't actually ever popped my head into the, this boutique. I just wanted to go pop in. And this lady was in there and she was just so charismatic and so lovely. And I was a bit like, like this must be her store because she was just so, you know, wonderful to talk to. And I was just like, okay, hi, like, cool. And I'm like, is this your store? She's like, no, no, this is my clothing label though. I just sell it in here. And I was like, oh, amazing. And, um, and we just started chatting and to be honest, got on really well. And, I, you know, like she, I said, well, how long have you had the clothing label for? And she goes, oh, well, only about three or four years. Um, I go, what were you doing before that? And she goes, oh, I spent close to about 30 years working in advertising. Um, no, she's going to kill me. It wasn't 30 years. It was probably about 20. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's not that old. <laughs> but but she, like, it was really funny. Lindsay and I, we've got quite a big um, difference in age, but like in terms of like, she's the coolest person you'll meet. Her story is freaking amazing. She's hilarious. She's from what's, New York. Sorry, what's her name? Lindsay? Lindsay Nicholas. So I think I, I am going to introduce you to her. Um, but you know, she's from New York originally. Um, she'd spent 20 years working in global advertising roles, um, you know, uh, within, you know, DDB, Omnicom. She was previously with Marina Bay Sands. Um, she's just somebody who is so fiercely driven, has a crazy ass personal story. Her personal story is amazing. Um, and you know, somebody who followed her passion over the age of 50 to finally do what she wanted to do. And, um, I was kind of, I was just really taken back. She's telling me this, you know, what she was doing. And then she finally, you know, was like, I'm quitting corporate life to start a fashion label. I've wanted to do my whole life. And, um, we ended up, yeah, just really amazing because again, that whole idea of, you know, working as an entrepreneur or going out on your own, I go back to, you know, the 21 year old living in Bali, taking a selfie. That's unfortunately the perception around it yet. Here is nothing wrong with that, but it's just like a different area of, I guess, the the the, the level of expertise and experience that we're sort of looking across. And yeah. Linz and I met, and we became friends. And I was really just, I liked her straight away, and I was like, like I would love to be able to work with you. I don't know how. And one thing led to another, and Linz has now sort of she works as an ambassador for Mash. She also. Um, has worked as a masher. So she worked on two projects with us in Singapore and she's now also become a client of ours. So we look after her brand, um, Lindsay Nicholas, New York as well. Um, and she's just somebody as first and foremost, a friend, um, and just comes with a wealth of knowledge and expertise, but she's also just somebody who just completely and consistently uplifts others, you know? And I think that's why I, regardless of her background expertise, all of that, she, um, has just opened so many doors for us in terms of people that she's previously worked with and just been a wonderful support, you know? And I think that genuineness is something that is when you find that in people, it's kind of like all I kind of want to surround myself with because it's just like good humans. Um, Even though when we probably first met, we went out for like dinner two or three times and it was only like the third time that we did actually go up. We actually spoke about work because it was just <laughs> like, and then we're like, all right, cool. This yeah. is great. We, we need they're, to do they're normally, they're normally the best sort of clients or, or people to work with. Yeah. It's, it's when you've got that exactly. really great 
uh, personal connection and, and, you know, align values and just you get on so well that, yeah, of course it's going to be great working together. Yeah, exactly. So just I think um, off top of mind, I, I hope I haven't, that yeah, was really no, hard. No, that, that was would, really I, hard. I'd, lo- I'd love to chat to him. Thank, thank you. Um, yeah. And Tash, what's your favourite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, my favourite quote is um, focus on controlling what you can control or control the controllables. And I think that's something I've really, really held on to during COVID. And I think it's really done, done me well in that context of just how to think about the situation. Cause if you focus on, you know, what you don't have or what you want to have, that is, that's out of your control. You've mm. got to take the steps to get there. Um, so that's something is definitely yeah, kind great. of I like that. Yeah, how I sort of, you know, focus on moving forward is just controlling the controllables that you can. Yeah. Um, and I think the best piece of advice, I think anyone who knows me knows that I, I quote my brother on stuff a lot because he's my sort of voice of reason a lot of times. <laughs> I'll be the one. He's, uh, we're very different, my brother and I, but we're very close. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, to be honest, the piece of advice he gave me when I went to go out on my own where he was just like, you know, you need to leave your ego at the door. And I would never have, he didn't mean it as in having an ego, but in the sense that you just sometimes have to realize that if you want to do something that you want to, don't be afraid, like put that aside and just go, okay, go for it. And um, I think it really, you know, it it kind of forced me to, um, yeah, I guess, take that chance, do you know? Mm. Because if you do fail, which you're going to stuff up, you're going to make a million mistakes on the way, just embrace it yeah. <laughs> um, and don't be worried by it. So I think for me that would be, um, yeah, that and, you know, just back yourself as you go through that. And finally, where can people learn more about you? Oh, gosh, they can just drop me an email <laughs> or, 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 um, or, you know, go on our website and there's an email there. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty pretty open and chatty person. So if somebody's, <laughs> if somebody's made it this far through and they actually want to talk to me more about it, for sure, drop me an email. That's no problems at all. That's cool. Well, Tash, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I've oh, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, lovely to catch up. So good. Thanks for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guests or the things discussed, head to our website, dsrb.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoyed it, please let me know and spread the word by sharing it with a friend. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. I hope that this episode has inspired you to think differently.